The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us today is a titan of modern marketing. Heaton Shaw is a serial entrepreneur, and he founded marketing analytics, collaboration, and visualization companies like Kissmetrics, Crazy Eggs, and his current project, FYI, which is a tool that helps teams search and organize all of their documents in one place. In addition to his operating roles, Heaton is also the creator of the Quick Sprout marketing blog, the Startup Chat podcast, and he's an advisor to over 50 startups. Here is our interview with Heaton Shaw from FYI. Heaton, welcome to the MarTech podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to reconnect. We talked a couple weeks ago on another show that I work on for Search Metrics, the Trend Spotting podcast a lot about what are some of the trends in marketing that you've seen. And today, I'm, I'm really excited to actually take a step back and learn a little bit more about your career path and how you became, to me, one of the marketers with the best personal brands. And your resume is so long and distinguished, and you're not that old. So I really am interested to hear how you've done so much in such a short period of time in the marketing industry. So let's just start off talking about why did you get into marketing? Accidentally. Just because you mentioned it, I am 37 and 15 years ago, so when I was 22, I got into marketing, honestly, with a more famous marketer than me. His name's Neil Patel. And if you're listening to the show, you must have heard of him by now. Neil does the Marketing School podcast? Yeah, that's right. I listen to Neil all the time. Great podcast. Yeah, I used to listen to Neil all the time too. (laughs) I'm actually his brother-in-law. So I've known him since he was 11. And back in 2003, I was getting out of college. And his sister, who I'm married to now, and I was dating, we were dating since we were 15, he was 11. So he's even younger than me. Uh, We basically decided to start a consulting company doing SEO because he had one customer paying him $3,500 a month to do SEO. And that's how I got into marketing. Prior to that, I had not a lot of experience on the internet from a professional standpoint or a work standpoint because I was in college, but I also had a bunch of offline businesses, wasn't doing anything online, but I was very computer savvy, made my own computers back in the day and also started using a computer since I was eight. 
So we started building this consultancy and started helping people with marketing. And specifically at the time, because Google was still young and getting very big, very fast, it made sense to focus on search and start helping people get search ranking, starting with that first customer. But really, I got into it on accident. You could say Neil really got me into it. So that's interesting. You partnered up with a friend who had a single client. He was 22 years old. No, I was 22. He was 18 and barely getting into college, believe it or not. And we started the company. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazier than that. Yep. So first off, somebody gave a 18-year-old 3500 bucks to run their SEO back in, I don't know, what is this, 20 years ago? Yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah, they did. And I think they were smart for it because honestly, they got their number one ranking a lot of time. <laughs> it sounds like it. So you're basically faking it till you make it when you first start out. You don't have much marketing experience. You're working in SEO. How did you learn about the SEO industry and what optimization tactics did you use to start developing that agency? Yeah, I think curiosity was the number one tactic I used. And that was just ever curious. I spent a lot of time with Neil just learning kind of how he thought about it and learning the business, so to speak, and how rankings worked and all that, and then started getting kind of a knack for it. And then we both at the same time, we were working on client work as well as building our own properties just for fun. And the truth is we would do much more gray hat or black hat or whatever tactics on our own properties just to learn what works, what doesn't work, what Google likes, what Google doesn't like. That helped us develop a set of principles around how search works and how we should be approaching it for our clients. The main reason is with a client, you're focused on getting rankings for them and making sure that they're growing their traffic. And if you do anything black or gray hat and it works for a little while but stops working, guess what? They stop paying you. They also blame you for being blacklisted in Google. And at that time, and even today, Google's very much a black box when it comes to SEO. There's a lot of things out there. There's more content than ever 15 years later. But I can't tell you how many conversations I have about search where people just don't have a clue what they should be doing, even though they've read all the stuff out there because it's still a big black box. There's more metrics you can look at now, which is great, but it's still a lot of pseudoscience to some extent to a lot of people. So I believe marketing is an industry where your curiosity matters a lot more than a lot of other industries, as well as like, it's really how you drive results. So you started off essentially as a kid. I mean, you're 22 years old. You're working with Neil, who's 18 in the consulting agency. You're learning about SEO. How did that company scale? How long did you do that? And did you stay focused on SEO? We stayed focused on SEO for a while. Then we started getting into social media. This was mostly in the heyday of dig.com. We basically did whatever we could to help our clients get more and more traffic. But SEO was always kind of the key bread and butter. And we got really good at consulting. Even within a couple of years, we were already making enough cash where we started building our own software products. And within about five years from then, we had shut down sort of the consulting company and very much focused on the next business we were working on and raised a bunch of money for it called Kissmetrics. And we used all the skills that we learned. For example, we had one of the top blogs on marketing pretty fast within a few years. And actually, one of the things that is really interesting to me is I actually have my own personal Twitter account that's under number 5,000. And so I was in the first 5,000 users on Twitter. And I really learned a lot about that channel as a marketing channel very early on. And it was actually the first channel that we used at Kissmetrics. And I think that curiosity thing that I keep kind of bringing back, and I probably will continue to throughout this whole conversation, is really what got me there. Because I'm always curious about what's new and what might work that other people have not figured out yet. Because what happens is over time, marketing channels get harder and harder to utilize, harder and harder to leverage and get results on as well as the early folks around the platforms that actually figured stuff out. 
This goes for paid channels as well as uh, organic. So that's interesting to me that you, A, I totally agree with the sentiment that channels get harder over time. It's one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate of podcast advertising is that to me, I don't want to say the average marketer, but a lot of marketers are leaning on social media advertising to try to drive growth. And that channel is getting more saturated by big brands and getting more expensive. And there are different formats of marketing that are coming out that are cheaper, like podcast advertising, like content creation. You mentioned that you used the money that you made from your consulting business to start Kiss Metrics. And so I'm interested in hearing more about the mindset of being a marketer and being in a service business and and what drove you to start creating your own products. So what we actually did was we tried to create 10 to 12 different products. And we ended up getting really lucky by about 2005 when we launched Crazy Egg, where it creates heat maps where people are clicking on a page. So our drive for building the software was mostly to get diversification from consulting revenue. We really enjoyed it. We got really good at it, but we wanted to do more and provide some recurring revenue for ourselves. And at that time, back in around 2005, software was not where it is today and wasn't as popular in terms of companies that you build. And that was a good thing. It was a time when there was lots and lots of opportunities for building these kind of companies and many people weren't taking advantage of that, much like uh, early channels. So SaaS for us, we almost treated it like an early marketing channel and we ran a lot of experiments and we tried a bunch of things and one of them worked, which was Crazy Egg. And then once that got to some level of scale about three years after we launched it, which ended up being about 2008, we were building a second product and we decided to spin it out of Crazy Egg and it was called Kissmetrics and we started building that out. And both of those businesses either targeted marketers or user experience people or designers, anybody in that kind of product and marketing sort of role that wanted to understand what was going on on their websites better. Because one, Crazy Egg was a visual tool where it showed people exactly where people were clicking on a page. We were one of the first companies to do it. We helped pioneer that category of heat maps on a website. And then with Kissmetrics, we built analytics that was mainly targeted at marketers. And we used our skills in marketing to basically learn about the customers and figure out what mattered to them. That way, we could create these differentiated and right products for the market. So what was your role? I guess you were a founder, so you probably had many roles. But what was your primary area of focus when you're doing the product development? Were you doing the engineering and product work? Were you actually doing the marketing and reaching customers? Were you splitting everything evenly with Neil and it was all hands on deck? We didn't really think of it as roles or anything like that. At the end of the day, at Kissmetrics, I ended up being the CEO. Neil was more closer to like the CMO or marketing, but we really didn't split up roles between us as much as you might normally imagine. But yeah, we just wanted to get stuff done. And we split up responsibilities as best as we could. I was mostly responsible for product engineering and anything that had to do with business operations or things like that. And Neil was very specifically involved in marketing as well as sales. So even though it wasn't your primary area of responsibility at Kissmetrics and at Crazy Egg, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you learned about marketing SaaS tools. What's the playbook? What were the learnings? Were the channels different from tool to tool? So the channel at Crazy Egg, because that was 2005, was actually mostly more than a couple of online forums and CSS galleries. See, our whole framework on marketing has everything to do with defining the audience, then figuring out where they hang out and then literally engaging them. So when we were engaging them on Crazy Egg, we had a few forums that really helped us in CSS galleries when it was a hot thing, where we would get users from those places, customers, visitors, and they would use our product super early before it was even launched and give us a ton of feedback. 
that process is kind of something that a lot of companies are doing now. But back in 05, that wasn't something that was as popular that people were doing. So we'd always find the audience. So for us, channels and marketing, SaaS, or honestly, anything else is about finding that audience, which means you have to define them. And then on Kissmetrics, the story is actually really good because at that time, we were opportunistically looking for a channel. And I was early on Twitter. And what I learned is that there was a hashtag, the measure hashtag, M-E-A. S-U-R-E. And a lot of the marketers that really cared about analytics were hanging out on that hashtag. What I mean is they would share links, share quotes, share thoughts, and add that hashtag to it. And these were most of the folks that were thinking about analytics and marketing and measuring marketing and performance-based marketing and all that kind of stuff. And so we kind of co-opted that hashtag with the Kissmetrics Twitter account and started sharing links, not even our own, just anybody's, as long as we thought they were interesting. And I would personally curate those for at least the first two, three years of the business. And then when we started our blog, that was how we seeded the traffic and the brand for the blog. And then obviously over time, email and SEO and other things started taking over and the blog reached about a million visitors a month before Neil actually ended up acquiring it recently. But what we did is we just did a formula that we understand, a framework, which was identify the audience, identify that customer. Who is your customer? Answer that question as well as you can. Figure out where they hang out. That's step two. And then step three is engage with them. Figure out how you can engage with them and get them involved in what you're doing. Like For example, we didn't tell them, hey, go try Kissmetrics off of our Twitter account. We helped provide them with something they wanted, which was to learn more about marketing. They wanted to read the latest and the greatest and see tips and tricks and stuff. And there was not as much content as there is out there today, but there was a ton of content out there that we could share on the Twitter account. I was sharing up to like five or 10 links a day. So you laid out an interesting framework, which is understand who your customer is, figure out where they hang out, and then figure out your engagement strategy. I think that's a good way to think of how to start your marketing process Talk to me about your tips for understanding who your audience is, specifically in your SaaS products. How did you think about, well, this is who we should be going after? And did you do any testing or validation? Or is that all just an intuitive process? No, there's a lot of testing or validation. I believe intuition can help guide you initially. But over time, you have to have some kind of data. So the way I think about identifying the customer has everything to do with the product and or service that you're selling. And really thinking through what problem does it solve? And who does it solve that problem for? And once you start thinking of it like that, you start talking to people. You start talking to them, not about like what you're building, but more about what problems they have. So I always start with some guesses or hypotheses around, oh, this is a customer. Here's a problem. What we're trying to sell solves for them. And then I use that process and those hypotheses to basically inform who I talk to. And I really make sure that this problem is really a big enough problem for them. And it's actually a real problem that they want solved. And from there, I've identified who they are. And then I go on to the next step. In the vast majority of my consulting clients, this is what I call my brand development process, but it is all around going and talking to people, understanding what their problems are. And most of the time when you're talking to people that are your prospective customers, they will lead you to, here's the channels that I look for, and here's the things that will get me to prioritize this product over other options that I have. So understanding who your customer is and engaging with them early on, to me, is something that absolutely resonates. And it's something that I've practiced as a marketing consultant as well. Tell me a little bit more. You now have two SaaS products going back into your career path. You're getting success with Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics. Did you stay active in those businesses? Did you have an exit? Where did you land the plane there? So Crazy Egg is still running. It's a self-funded business. 
as of this year, I work on it about a few hours a week. That we have a general manager there that's running the business, as well as my wife actually works on it as the COO. We're about 20 to 30 people. And we've been scaling that business for the last 13 years and feel like there's always more work to do there in terms of the market and the opportunity. So that's crazy. And then with Kissmetrics, I helped the company for six years, maybe a little bit longer. And then a CEO took over and another CEO took over. And I haven't been involved in that company for about three years. And more recently, I've been working on just building new products. And also I have an email newsletter as well. So for me, it's interesting because I like playing with new channels, whether they're new channels that exist in the market like Snapchat or Instagram stories, or playing with new channels that I'm not familiar with. So maybe like four or five years ago, after I left Kissmetrics, I started a personal newsletter. And I wanted to send weekly emails of 10 or 11 interesting links for the week for basically anyone interested in tech. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, it's been almost two years, I worked with a new co-founder and we converted it over to be called Product Habits. And we've been blogging and talking a lot more about uh, product. And also, I still share those links every week on that newsletter. So we converted a personal newsletter of mine into sort of what I would call a brand. And we've been learning a lot more about emails and email marketing and how to write really great email that people love and how to add value in that medium. And to me, that's still such a big marketing thing. And I know you said I didn't necessarily run marketing at Kissmetrics or anything like that. I don't know. I feel like everything I look at because of my early years in marketing has that distribution marketing and even growth lens. Even if I'm really passionate about product these days, I can't get away from that filter, that lens, that idea of like really focusing in on the customer first and then figuring out how to get more of them. I think that first off, I understand that marketing is something that you've built into every role that you have. So apologies if I said that you weren't doing it. But... Oh, no, I'm not looking for an apology. I was just <laughs> mentioning I definitely didn't run those areas, but it was something that we really cared a lot about. Right. So no apologies necessary, just more giving a perspective on, I guess, my career and how marketing has literally shaped so much of what I do even today and how important I think it is that regardless of what role you have, especially if you're a CEO, founder, executive, marketing has to be something you're thinking about. Or I think what happens is you lose sight of the customer. Yeah, I think that there's an interesting transition for marketers in the digital, the internet era, where marketing has gone from being what we now consider a brand campaign, an advertising-driven area of focus, that sort of discipline, into something that is data-driven, technology-centric. Marketers have to work with the engineering team, the analytics team, the creative team. It's much more integrated across the entire organization. Honestly, I think it's one of the reasons why this podcast has grown is that the people that are interested in marketing or need to know about marketing are not necessarily just marketers anymore. It can be people that are primarily the product person or people that are the head executive, the CEO of a company or the founder. They all need to understand marketing because that gets integrated into the product, into the infrastructure, into the finances. So totally makes sense to me. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. 
No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me about you've now gone from being a consultant, being in a services business to being a SaaS software founder. Now you're building a personal brand that you've spun out into a new brand. Tell me about the difference between those three types of businesses. It's funny. It's easier to say the similarities these days for me. And I'll tell you the similarities first. I would say that every business I've ever seen scales once you have a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet is essentially the economics, unit economics of the business, the way that the customers flow in and out of the business. And I say spreadsheet, it could be data, it could be analytics, it could be a dashboard, whatever. But to me, it's like you get traffic of some kind to something, whether it's foot traffic to a coffee shop, if you own a coffee shop, or visitors to a website. And then basically, they see something and then they buy it. And then ideally, they come back and buy again. I think that a subscription SaaS business is the same. You have traffic coming to a website, people sign up for your product, there might be a trial or it might be a free product, and eventually they pay. And your comeback means that they're not churning. They keep paying if it's a subscription business. In a business like an email newsletter, you're basically creating content and you want people to keep opening your emails. You want them to keep reading the content. There's a hook you give them, usually an ebook, a PDF, or some really valuable reason they should join the email list. And then once they join the email list, basically your job is to keep re-engaging them, keep making sure that they stay engaged. And even there's a spreadsheet for that and a way to think about that in the same way. And that's about the two types of businesses that I've spent probably the most time on. And then I've actually advised or helped over 100 companies now officially and thousands unofficially because I just love helping businesses and founders and marketers and product people and anybody that comes my way. And it all just boils down to, do you know your metrics? Do you know your numbers? And are you able to drive more of what you're looking for in the business, which usually just leads to more revenue, more growth, more users, more customers, more traffic, and figuring out how you're going to get more of it. It's kind of weird. We're in a world where everybody wants more. And I got to say, as a marketer, you're going to want to want more. (laughs) You're going to need to have that desire to want more of something, more traffic, more people, more customers, more visitors, or you're not really going to grow whatever you're working on. Yeah, I'm just selfishly I'm curious to hear a little bit more about you've described the email marketing newsletter that started off more as a personal project and then you've spun out into its own brand and you called it a business. I'm curious to hear about how you've turned the newsletter getting people to sign up to engage with content that you're curating into a business. 
I think that we've been testing the business model. We partnered with a company last year and promoted their online, actually their community and their course. It's not just an online one. It's more of like a program to help people with growth. After that, we started doing experiments around teaching people about product development and then started creating a course around it. So we've done a bunch of experiments on it. So to me, when it's something like email, where the business model isn't always straightforward, you're doing a lot of experiments to figure out how would you like to monetize the audience. Because I really have this belief that if you're doing something, making it sustainable involves making sure it makes money in the best way possible, not necessarily just make money and that's it. Although that might be someone else's attitude. For me, it's all about how do I make something sustainable and making money enables me to do that. So experimentation around the email newsletter is really what we were doing. And we had some rules like we didn't want anyone to sponsor it. We didn't want advertising on it just because that wasn't the kind of brand we wanted to build out of that. We instead wanted to focus on how do we add value for people around this topic and then how do we add even more value and charge them for it. Right. You mentioned that you've gone on to not only found another company, but also you've invested and you're an advisor for hundreds to thousands of companies. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing today. Where is your area of focus? How do you allocate your time? So I have those 100 plus advisory roles and investment roles that or investments that I've made. And those folks have priority in my inbox. So if they need anything, they definitely come to me. You'd be surprised how often people just come to me more with their problems when they have them, which is every now and then. So you're talking about a handful a week at most. And then most of my time is actually spent on my new business called FYI. The URL is usefyi.com. And we actually used our email newsletter, uh, Product Habits, to discover this problem. We went through this journey with the audience of how we were going to discover the biggest problem in the document space. What we discovered is the biggest problem in the document space is finding documents across (laughs) all the tools you use. And we are on a mission to make people's work and personal lives easier by basically helping them find their documents. So with FYI, that's what we're very focused on. I spent as much of my time as I can on that business growing it. Because one thing I've learned over the last 15 years is that if you're going to work on something, work on something that's a big problem for other people like really painful, big problem that you can sink your teeth into and go at for many years to come. And I think I've done that repeatedly, but this one is one where I feel very strongly aligned with where I think the world's going to be in 10 or 20 years and the fact that we're still going to have this problem. As someone who runs a consulting business and a content business, and I manage multiple clients on the consulting end, I could tell you that I use Google Docs, Dropbox, SharePoint, iCloud, I'm sure there's another one. Hard files on my laptop, they're everywhere all the time and I'm constantly searching for things. So I understand the pain point. Tell me a little bit about how you think about the customer for FYI and what are the marketing channels that you're prioritizing? Absolutely. So for FYI, we're very focused on personal use as well as company use. And by personal use, I mean it could be an individual in a company that's looking for their documents or someone like you that works with multiple clients, whether you call yourself a freelancer, an agency, a contractor, whatever that terminology is, most folks put it in the agency, freelancer, contractor kind of camp. I'm going to go with man of the people. You can go with man of the people. I understand why we are on your podcast. So you can call yourself (laughs) whatever you'd like. So if you're a person of the people, we are here to help you because we notice that people like yourself tend to have this problem amplified because you work with multiple clients. So what we want to do is make your work easier. 
And one of the things we're doing right now is actually talking to people like you that manage multiple clients and have this sort of document mess. And also one really cool thing FYI does that we learned early on is you can connect multiple of your G Suite or Dropbox accounts into your one FYI account and find things across all those tools and accounts. It's funny. I was just about to say, I have my Ben J. Shap Consulting. I have my personal docs. I have my startup Strum School. My wife and I have our own inbox. It's like <laughs> everything is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, email accounts are free, right? So I have 19 of them. Yeah, exactly. So you can connect all of them and find your stuff. No problem. Great. In one place. We also take over your Chrome new tab with our Chrome extension. Mm-hmm. So every time you open the new tab, our product's sitting there. And we don't just give you a search box. We let you find your documents. So you can go into any of the tools and see all the documents in those tools right from FYI. You don't have to go to the tools themselves. We have we call them apps, but we have apps for each of the tools. And then we have an activity feed that shows you all the recent activity with all those documents. And then we let you find documents based on who shared them with you. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because the way we do marketing today is we're still in early phases. This product launched in May, so it's about five months old from a public launch standpoint, we're still building product. You know, one thing I think you're going to love is fascinating. We learned that people still have documents on their computers. Yeah, the old ones. We have a desktop app. So it's really cool. When you install the desktop app, it specifically works really well on Mac. Windows, we're still working on making this feature work. But basically, you can install the desktop app and then you can be in your browser, in your Chrome new tab, find the document, click it, and you'll go straight to the document on your computer. And we learned that through marketing. Interesting. So we started marketing the product and then we kept listening and we kept hearing that people have documents on their computer. And we didn't want to just create experience where it's like, oh, your documents are on the computer, you can find them. We wanted to let you find them and get to them like instantly. So you never have to use the Macintosh Finder anymore. You can just be in your browser where you probably are most of the time and just go get to that document that you want. Sounds like it has a ton of utility. Yeah, we learned it though by thinking of who our customer is and what they want. Like instantly when we heard that people like you have these multiple accounts and need them in one place, we added the ability to add multiple accounts. So to me, this is why I say like, you're always thinking about marketing because we want to build something that's marketable. If the feature is not marketable and marketable means in an amazing way. Like when I tell you it does this, you should be like, yeah, heck yeah, I need it. I want it. Otherwise, like what are we building? Right. I guess the way we do marketing today is a lot of that. Because we're super early and we're not worried about channels as much as we're worried about, is this product right? Is it missing features? For example, we've been working on an Evernote integration for a bit. It's still not quite done yet. We're working on a Quip integration, but we kept hearing from people they want those integrations because they use those tools. And if we're telling you we'll let you find everything, we better connect with everything. Maybe this is a different product. And I do want to get back into talking about your career. But one of the things that has driven me nuts lately is there are so many productivity tools as well, not just document finding and sharing, but there's also like I have strategy on Asana and I have content management using Airtable and my documents are a different place and I'm linking from documents to different productivity apps. I just constantly bouncing between all of these multiple different services. So maybe there's a future for you getting into connecting all of the product management software as well. Yeah, that's why we see such a big future ahead for what we're doing here. And we know the problem's big. And the problem has to do with the fact that you use a lot of tools. We just wanted to be in the document space because we saw that there's just a ton of documents being created and nobody's stopping. We even connect with your email and find documents in your email for you too. 
Great. So talk to me, you're running this company, you're running FYI, you're advising multiple different startups, you're still actively participating in Crazy Egg, one of your previous startups, and you've also managed to build a visible personal brand. Talk to me about how you prioritize developing your personal brand, running your companies, supporting the different companies that you're advising. I just feel like people make a big deal out of time and they say, I'm busy or I don't have enough time. And I focus much more on my energy. So do I have energy for that? Am I willing to do it? Do I think I can help this person? Or do I think I can do this thing? And I've always viewed it like that. I don't like to think of myself as having a limited amount of time. I like to think of myself as having an unlimited amount of energy. And that's really how I think about it. I know that's so different than like what we're taught growing up or how most people think about their lives. I do have a calendar. I do realize there's 24 hours in a day. I'm not living in some imaginary world. But at the end of the day, if I have energy for it, or I feel like it's going to help me, I do it and I commit to it and I figure out how to get it done. I'm also very good at delegating. So that's the only caveat I would say, which is more than anything else, my number one skill probably has to do with getting other people to do important things. There's something that you said in the Trendspotting podcast that we recorded that really resonated with me. Your quote was, if you want to do more, do more. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. What I mean by that is just, it's the same principle. Like, look, there's only one way to do more, which is just by doing more. So if there are things you're doing that are waste, stop doing them because that'll help you make room for doing more of what you want to be doing or what you need to be doing. Because to me, it's like if someone comes to me and it's an amazing business and I'm excited about it and they say, hey, will you help me? It's very hard for me to say no. Now, there could be a business that comes and it's like, I'm not interested in it. For example, cryptocurrency. Not very interested in it right now. It's not because I don't think it's valuable or anything like that. I just don't have energy for it. I want to put my energy in this big problem I found, the companies I already have, and the people that I want to engage with. So for me, a lot of it just has to do with like, we have this attitude in the world of limits and limitations. But yet there are people that have done things like break the record for how fast you can run or things like that. And they haven't done it by thinking about what limits them. They've done it by thinking about what's possible and making that happen for themselves or the world. And I think that just being a founder, having always run my own companies and started them, I have this thinking where it's like, I don't want to think about limitations in the way that most people do, especially around time and how much you can do in life. And obviously, I do think about limitations in terms of like constraints, like how much money do we have to do this? Or how many people do we have and things like that? That's not what I mean. I just mean to say that there's just a thinking that permeates most people in the world in general about being limited. And I feel like you could get me into Tony Robbins mode if you really wanted me to. But like at the end of the day, we should be coming from a place where we're not thinking about limits. We're thinking about opportunities. We're thinking optimistically about what's possible and we're taking on as much as possible. I think that there's a couple things that stick out to me about what you're talking about. First off, you have a sense of self-awareness of where you're saying it's not time, it's energy. It's like if you have the energy, you can continue to increase your output. And when you don't have energy, it's okay to back off and prioritize and take things off your plate. To me, that's something that really resonates in the sense of work on the things that you want to, and you'll be motivated to continually do a good job. And the other thing that you mentioned is around sort of time management and constraints. And to me, there is a trend with people that are very successful, and I would absolutely put you in that class where there is a mindset not of being limited, but of having opportunity in front of them. You rarely hear people that are incredibly successful say what they can't do, 
right? It's always what they want to try to accomplish or what they're working on or what they're they're striving for. And to me, that that sticks out. It's a very positive way to look at things and it allows you to test and iterate as well. Last question I have for you before we let you go, what advice do you have for younger marketers, the crowd that's just getting started in their career in marketing or people that are just starting to learn about the medium? What advice do you have for them to uh, set them off down the right path? If you're starting off in marketing, I think the number one skill you need to get, as I said, and I'm going to bookend it like this, is curiosity. Find a way to be ever curious about how things work, how traffic is gotten, how customers think, how to even discover who the customer is. I think there's this curiosity that, to me, the most skilled marketers have. And oftentimes, we're not talking about curiosity. Meaning like when I hear people talk about marketing, they don't talk about curiosity. They don't talk about that desire to learn. They don't talk about that desire to be curious and find new things and new opportunities and grow something. Because the thing is, a lot of marketing is creative. A lot of it's science, which is performance-based and things like that, which you should learn. And many people will tell you that. What I'll tell you is that the creative aspects of it, the curiosity is so important, especially when there's so many channels. And honestly, I think so much opportunity, but also so many options. When there's so many options, how do you choose between them? Well, it's not always just science and performance. You have to have some intuition. You have to have some form of curiosity to run experiments and try things. I think marketers that are the best always try new things. Or if they're marketers and they're managing a bunch of marketers, they're looking for marketers that are trying new things, that are super curious, and also able to use that curiosity to get results. Multiple ways to skin a cat. I think it's great advice. Stay curious, marketers. Test new channels. Try new things. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Hitton Shaw from FYI for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Hitton, you can click on the link in our show notes or visit his website, which is heatonism.com, H-I-T-E-N-I-S-M.com. Heaton, why don't you list off the other sites that people can go if they're interested? Just check out producthabits.com. It's where my newsletter is these days. And then check out FYI, of course, use FYI.com. And if you're old school and you remember Crazy Egg or want some heat maps, crazyegg.com is great. And I have more, but you know what? Those three are probably valuable to everybody that's listening. We'll put some links in the show notes. There's a bunch of different ways to learn about what Heaton works on. If you didn't have time to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry. We have you covered. We've got a full transcript of the episode and a summary on our website, which you can find by going through the link in our show notes, or you could just use the martechpod.com domain, which will redirect you to our podcast website. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. If you ever have questions, comments about the show, if you're interested in being on the MarTech Podcast, there's a link in our show notes, which now lets you leave a voicemail question for me. And we're starting a new segment where we're going to be taking those questions and doing a mailbag section where we get experts to answer your questions, or if it's possible, I'll try to answer them myself. You could also reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, you can just search my handle, which is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. If you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we've got a bunch of great episodes lined up for the next few weeks. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed next week. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.